When I was in college, the school I went to had two main sections, East Campus and West Campus. East Campus was where all the freshmen lived. West Campus was where everyone else lived. Uh, And there were classes that met on each campus, on East Campus and on West Campus. And so there were buses that would take you back and forth between these campuses. And as you were leaving East Campus or coming to East Campus, you would go underneath this bridge. There was a city street that went above, and you'd go under the bridge through a small tunnel. And it was a tradition among student groups to, uh, whenever they had an event to advertise or something like that, to, to paint the bridge, to paint the walls of this tunnel. So whenever a group would paint something on this bridge, as you might imagine college students uh, would do, they didn't scrape off the thing that was painted on before. They just painted over whatever was there. And so uh, this was going on for decades, and there, were layer, there was layer upon layer upon layer, hundreds, maybe thousands of coats of paint, literally inches of paint on these tunnel walls that connected East and West Campus. Uh, I think it was my third year there, though, they needed to do some work on the bridge, and they scraped off or sandblasted off all of these uh, decades of paint. And, and I assumed that underneath was just some, some bland, boring concrete wall, but no, it was brick, beautiful red North Carolina tobacco town brick, and, and it had stone caps at the top, and it had scroll work in the middle. It was this beautiful, hand-laid, intricate, expert craftsmanship. But what happens when you put hundreds of coats of paint on something, one on top of the other, is that you just sort of fill in all those intricate parts, and eventually it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like it was meant to look. It just looks like a wall. I tell you this because it seems to me we spend a lot of time in our lives doing that to ourselves. We roll one more coat of paint on the exterior without scraping off any of the stuff that lies deeper down, without doing any excavating, without getting rid of the old stuff, and and we trick ourselves into thinking that somehow putting something on the outside is going to do the trick. Just one more coat of paint and we'll get it right. But that doesn't work, not when it comes to character which is what we're talking about in this series, because character has to do with, with the things that are deep down inside of us. And no coat of paint on the outside can transform what's inside. What we've discovered so far in this series is that as people of faith, as those who call ourselves Christians, it's not enough to aim at just being vaguely better to be vaguely nicer or a little more patient, because as God's people, we are actually created and called to model the character of Jesus, God's Son, our Savior. And that gives us some heartburn because we believe that we probably could be a little bit kinder. We believe that we probably could be a little more generous or a little more compassionate, but we know we're not perfect. And we doubt that we can actually be just like Jesus. And yet, that's the call. That's the call, to live a life that radiates kindness and mercy and forgiveness and unconditional love to have within us the character of Christ. But that doesn't happen by putting on one more coat of paint. It doesn't happen by getting new clothes or a new car or taking a class or anything on the outside. That doesn't work. That's not the way to character. 
Because if you don't scrape off the original layer of paint, if you, just try to, if you just try to paint over what's already there, you end up getting deformed. You end up filling in all the intricate parts of who God made you to be. And you, don't, you can't live as God intended you to live. All the details, all the mastery, all the intricate, intricate craftsmanship will be covered up. And actually what happens when you put layer upon layer upon layer of paint is that those layers at the very bottom get weak, and they begin to slough off, and the paint on the outside, the new stuff, begins to look cracked and faded much sooner than it should. So, uh, I know that I'm not, uh, this won't surprise you, I'm not an expert at painting fingernails. Uh, I don't do it in my life or on my hands very often, but some of you do. And when you paint your fingernails, uh, do you just put on, you don't just put on a, another coat on top of what's already there. No, you get the little bottle of the stuff that smells terrible and you put it on a cotton swab and you, you scrape off, you rub off the original layer of paint. You have to strip away the first layer before you put the next layer on. But so often in life, we don't want to do that when it comes to our character, to the deep down stuff of life, that's the stuff that's in our hearts and minds and souls. We want to ignore the difficult, dysfunctional stuff that's inside of us and try really hard to make sure that on the outside everything looks okay. Jesus makes it clear, though, that the strategy for growing and nurturing character isn't more paint. It's not to manufacture more character. It's not to try harder. The strategy is to allow Christ's character to live through you. The past couple of weeks, we've been reading John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the only way for the branch to bear fruit is to stay connected to the vine because it's the character of the vine that flows through the branches. Over and over, Jesus uses the same word, abide. Those who abide in me bear much fruit. That's when you start to bear fruit, when you're abiding in Jesus. And it's not because you're trying harder. It's because you're connected to the vine. It's because you're connected to Christ. And it's Christ's character that's living out through you. And that's different, and that's good, and we like that. And when we get it right, we start abiding, and we're seeking constant communication and constant connection with Christ. And we're abiding, and we think, okay, I'm connected to the vine. Now what? Now where am I going to see the fruit of my relationship with Christ? You know where we look? On the exterior, on the outside. We say, okay, God, I am abiding in you fix her. God, I am abiding in you. Fix him. God, I'm abiding in you. You see this problem I have at work. God, I'm abiding in you. Fix that problem. Fix that. Fix him. Fix her. The things on the outside, but what about the inside? Paul says when you're abiding in Christ, it's not the outside that's going to change, at least not first. But when you're grafted onto the vine, when you're connected to Christ, do you know where God is working? Inside, in you. God is scraping away all those old layers of paint, digging down, mining your soul for all that difficult, dysfunctional stuff within to get rid of it. To get rid of it so that your soul, your heart, your mind can be transformed. 
We read from Romans this morning, a letter that Paul wrote 2,000-some years ago, and Paul actually wrote a bunch of stuff. Something like two-thirds of the books of the New Testament were written by or, or suspected to be written by Paul, and, and Paul has this incredibly large and important place in Christian theology and practice even to this day. We value his work highly, and we read it, and we study it, and we pray about it, uh, and we see Paul as a man of exceptional character, but we sometimes forget that Paul didn't start out as a man of great character at least not according to the earliest Christians, because what Paul did early on was kill Christians simply because they were Christians. Paul killed people because of their religious beliefs, and today we'd call that a terrorist. So part of the reason why Paul's witness and writing is so important is because he, and he evolved from being a person of not good character to a person of incredible character. So how'd that happen? When Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, he gives a, a new paradigm for character formation, for how character becomes a deep part of who we are. The old way of developing character, and this might be familiar to some of you, the old way of developing character was to say, okay, I'm going to identify all of my faults. I'm going to make a list of everything that's wrong with me, and I'm going to try really hard not to do those things. And each time I do one of those things, I'm going to punish myself, I'm going to make myself feel bad, I'm going to work harder to not do it again the next time. That's sweat of your brow, beat yourself up, work harder, manufacture character approach. Paul says the same thing Jesus says, give that up. It doesn't work. It never works. It might work for a day or a week or however long you can keep your New Year's resolution, but that does not work. Eventually, you slide back into doing what you used to do. Paul wants to see wholesale change in our lives, like he saw in his own life. So he writes to the Christians in Rome and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That sounds confusing, spiritual worship. Now, sometimes uh, w when I'm reading Scripture, and you can do this too, when we're reading Scripture and you come across a, a phrase like spiritual worship and you think, what does that mean? I sometimes will open up different versions of the Bible on my Bible app, different translations, uh, just to sort of get a sense, what's that mean, spiritual worship? And, and actually, I was doing that this week with this passage, and the King James Version, the Old English, thou shalt, thou shalt not, that sort of, that one, uh, that one was the most helpful in helping me understand spiritual worship. Because what it says is, present yourselves, to, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Spiritual worship is reasonable service. In other words, in light of everything that God has done for me, in light of the fact that I'm standing here drawing yet another breath, have yet another opportunity to live and to love, in light of everything that God has done for me, my reasonable response, my logical response is to make myself a living sacrifice. In Paul's world, that paints the picture of somebody crawling up onto the altar table and, and offering ourselves to God. God, here I am. I'm all yours. Do with me as you please. But Paul points to a problem just really obliquely in this. We're living sacrifices. And that's the problem because we get up on the altar and we say, God, here I am. And then a minute later, we get off the altar and say, but just not yet because I've got to do this one thing first. Or God, I can do this one on my own. God, I'm all yours, but hold on. I need to do this first. That's what happens when you layer on a 
coat of paint over a problem and you don't really scrape down to the underlying causes, we remain stuck in this sense of, I, I want to offer myself to God, but I, I also want to do it on my own. So Paul says we've got to do something about that. And what he says is, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let yourself be poured into the mold of the world. Don't let your life or your family or your marriage or your relationships be conformed to everyone else's. Don't be conformed by this world. We've talked about this. The form this world puts, uh, puts out is a priority not on character but on accomplishment, on achievement, on resume virtues, and, and I don't want to be conformed to that. I don't want to be conformed to the world. Great, Paul says. You don't have to be conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, we're getting used to renewal around here. We're in the middle of all these building renovations. And the thing about renovations is that you've got to get rid of the old stuff first. We're redoing the kitchen in the fellowship hall. And when you redo a kitchen, you don't put new appliances on top of old appliances. You don't get a stove, a new stove, and put it on top of the old stove. With lights, you don't put new lights in on top of the old lights. You take out the old stuff first. Renovation requires taking out the old stuff first and then putting in the new. And the other thing with renovation is that it takes a ton of time. You've maybe noticed this as months have ticked by. It takes a ton of time. And the, the joke is that if a contractor tells you it'll be ready in October, it'll be ready in April or something. And, uh, and so it takes a ton of time. And sometimes you get inside this renovation project and you're going about the work of renewal and you think, what are we doing I can't believe we're doing this. It's so messy. There's all this junk and dust and debris. Nothing is clean. I don't know where to find anything. We've got to set everything up every week in the gym. And, and you know what? Our old kitchen was good in the first place. Why are we even changing the... Our old bathrooms were good in the first place. You're in the middle of it, and you just want to go back to the way it was because it's too messy, and it's taken too long. And Paul says, look, look, if you're going to truly change... If there's going to be deep down, lasting, meaningful change in your life and in how you live, if you are going to be transformed, it's going to take more than a layer of paint. You can't put the new appliance on top of the old one. In fact, you can't do anything on the outside. It has to do with being transformed and letting God renovate your heart and your mind and your soul. And God's renovation starts by taking out all the old, by getting rid of it first. God renovates by coming in and scraping off all the paint, removing all the old attitudes and opinions and prejudices and narrow-mindedness. All the old stuff goes. You can't keep that stuff. You can't keep the old dysfunctional stuff inside of you and just layer on God's presence and say, okay, now I'm ready. We have to let God come in and scrape down to the original, masterful, intricate creation that God made you to be. And then, and then God will begin to fill you up. God will begin to fill you with the fruit of his son, the fruit of Christ's character. We're going to talk about this next week, but once God tears out all that old stuff, God's going to fill us with new things like love and joy and hope and patience and faith and generosity. God's going to take out all the old stuff and fill us from within with Christ's own character, and we will, with God's help, become the people God created us to be. So in a minute, we're going to pray 
But before that, I want you to consider two questions. And I want you to take these questions home with you, and I want you to pray about them, and I want you to talk, with, uh, talk about them with people you trust, because God wants to renovate you. Every person in here, God wants to begin or continue or complete the renovation that God is doing in us. So two questions for you to take home. First, what needs to come out of you? What's all the old stuff that you're carrying around? What's the old, broken, dark, dysfunctional, painful, harmful, hurtful things that are deep inside of you that God needs to scrape off or pull out? Now, there's no shame in having those things inside of you. There's no shame in carrying those things around. We've all got them. But what does God need to pull out of you? What does God need to scrape off your heart, your mind, or your soul so that you can be made new? And then the second question. What do you hope God will fill you with in its place? What do, you hope will God, what do you hope God will put in its place? God's gonna take all this old stuff out of you. What new stuff do you wanna be filled up with? We're gonna talk more about this next week, but God gives each of us different gifts. God prepares us each in different ways. We'll be filled with different gifts. So what do you hope God will do in you? What needs to come out of you? What do you hope God will put in its place? Take those questions home, pray about them, think about them, talk about them with people you love. And now let's go to God in prayer. God, we are tired of putting on coat after coat of paint. We're tired of trying to cover up all the things deep down inside of us that aren't what we want them to be. So God, we invite you into the deepest, even the darkest parts of our hearts, minds, and souls because we trust that you are the master builder that you can renew us no matter how much paint or dirt or grime we've acquired, that you can tear down walls we've built, that you can rebuild everything new in us. So God, take out all the old stuff and fill us with your grace. Transform us through the renewal and renovation of our souls so that we might begin to bear good fruit and so that through us, the world might know you. We pray it all in Jesus' name.